0: Welcome to the Hustle & Flow podcast,
1: a platform we use to explore varying perspectives and opinion through candid conversation.
0: We chat about philosophy, business, and all things life. I'm Sean The Hustle, and I'm Les Flow. Let's go.
1: All right, guys, our guest today is a believer and advocate for the transformative power of movement. He was very active as a kid until the age of 13 when he was diagnosed with a bone cancer in his right hip. In total, he spent around three years in and out of hospital. And despite enduring chemotherapy and over 20 surgeries, his right hip had to be removed. The realisation of not being able to move the way he used to hit him hard. He endured serious depression and felt isolated from his peers. At the age of 16, he took up wheelchair tennis. He represented Australia numerous times on the world stage including at two summer Paralympics. He was ranked Australia's number one wheelchair tennis champion and number eight in the world before retiring. Outside of his athletic accomplishments, he has also embarked on a deep journey of self-reflection. He conquered the Kokoda Track, a gruelling trek of more than 140 kilometres on foot. He has also delved into a depth of meditative and spiritual practice as a Qigong instructor, and a student of traditional Chinese medicine. So with that, I'd like to welcome one to the show, Adam
0: Kellerman. Welcome, brother. Thanks, it's nice to be here. Uh, it's very nice to have you here, Adam. And Les has given us, I guess, a short synopsis of um, you know, some events in your life, some achievements that you've had today. But what we'd love to do is invite you to tell us your origin story. Um, as far back as you'd like to go, um, we'd love to open the floor to you and hear all about your life leading up to this point. So the floor is yours.
2: Thanks, Sean. As far back as I like, well, I grew up in Sydney, Australia. And yeah, I have I have three brothers and they yeah, we were pretty uh we were pretty active kids. Um and that was the majority of my my childhood memories revolve around sport. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I went to school and did did other activities, but my my true passion in life was was soccer, and my dream as a child was to be uh, play soccer for Australia. And so, when I was diagnosed with cancer, it was, I mean, a, sh- a shattering of, of that a dream and um, turn my life upside down. So I was actually on the soccer field, running up the field one day and, uh, I had just taken a, a goal kick, I was on one side of the field and we moved the ball up quick and I got a corner kick and I was the corner kick taker. So they called me to go run. And all of a sudden this pain struck my, my right hip and I could, I could hardly, I could hardly move. I, I got, I got taken off the field. I had had a little bit of intermittent pain leading up to that point, but nothing like what happened on that day. And so the next day I went to a physio who saw that the the muscle in my leg um, was malformed and had shrunk, so there was muscle wastage. And she, uh, speaking to her many years later, it was like her her heart dropped at that time. And she sent me for an X-ray, which showed that the texture of the bone, which is meant to be quite smooth, had these lines in, and so they could tell that something wasn't quite right. And then I went for an MRI. After the MRI, the radiologist pulled my mum and I into the back room, and we were looking at the looking at the screen. And on the screen was a a tumour about the size of a, a tennis ball. And I mean, I had no idea what a tumour was. I didn't even know what cancer was at that time but mum started crying. And so I got, I was naturally pretty scared and concerned. I had no idea the journey that was about to unfold, Um, but there was, there was, I don't know, like steps, uh, first finding out what was the tumor, was it benign? Was it um, malignant? And so I had a bone biopsy where they stuck a big needle into my hip and took out a sample and and sure enough, it came back has a bone cancer called Ewing sarcoma. And so it's a type of a bone cancer. Uh, It's it's not too common, but in the cases that, that it happens to, it's more common in teenage boys for some reason. And yeah, so that's when I started seeing, I saw a orthopedic surgeon and an oncologist and, my journey in the hospital system really started. And like Leslie said, it was a three-year journey. It was meant to be a year. So the plan was for four rounds of chemotherapy, which would alternate three days in hospital receiving chemotherapy, and then about three weeks to recover. And then six days in and about three weeks to recover. And that process was... Uh, at the beginning, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but each round of chemo it was like, I got uh, the life force in me was more, got more drained and I got more sick. Um, after the four rounds, I had some time off to recover for a major operation where they removed the bones of my right hip, literally took it across the road to be irradiated and then brought the bones, some of them back to put back into my, into my hip with a partial hip replacement, with lots of bolts and screws to hold it all together. And the idea of that was to give me a, you know, structure of the pelvis. And five years earlier, they would have removed all the bones and then just left it like that. But this was a, a new a newer operation that was, uh, had had a lot of success. Um, but in my case, I, I contracted an infection, post-surgical infection, which they managed to treat, and we thought it was all good. And then I had 10 rounds of chemo planned afterwards. And so, as I said before, each time I got slightly worse, and that was before I had surgery. After the surgery, I was already you know, pretty weak, and they just smashed me with chemo. Um, which children recover a lot quicker from chemo than, than adults. Uh, but the, yeah, there's, there's some pictures that I look back on and I, I look like a ghost, just the, all the, like no life force left. And I was in pain recovering, had to relearn how to walk the uh, yeah, the six weeks in, in six weeks recovery after the major operation was easily the hardest time of my life. And yeah, I actually was, had suicidal contemplations and idolations because as you can imagine, going from being a sporty kid, sport being in my life to six weeks, not being able to get up to go to the toilet. So that was, yeah, a bit uh, challenging in, in so many ways. Um, so the 10 rounds of chemo on the ninth one, the infection came back and so it was like almost at the finish line and then basically had to go back in for surgery where the hip replacement that they put in was taken out and they put in a cement block infused with antibiotics to try and get rid of the infections and then keep the space open so they could put a hip back in they tried two different antibiotics and two different cement blocks and nothing worked and this. There were lots of operations around this time and it was all over two years. I was in and out of hospital receiving uh, IV antibiotics as well. Um, my family even managed a, uh, we, we, I don't know how, I think maybe it was afterwards, was still on IV antibiotics when we, we went on a, a family holiday overseas. Um, yeah, so all in all, it was three years. And at the end they removed all the, all the bones of my right hip and so what they would have done five years earlier because the 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 new operation didn't exist they at the end of three years they left they left me with that and the remaining femur moved up into scar tissue and created what they call a false joint and that's what I've been walking on ever since so that was 2006 I was 16 years old and now I'm 30 and uh yeah so movement learning learning how to move learning how to walk multiple times in that in those three years and and dealing with chronic pain for many years after that uh it's quite a, I was quite uh young when i got off all painkillers because of how they made me feel mentally like they slowed me down and numbed my senses and uh which I'm very grateful that I had the the wisdom at that age to just be like, no, nah, it's not serving me. Same with antidepressants; I was on them for a little while, but uh, they just it didn't help me feel more alive. It, it felt like it was taking away part of myself. And but when I went like, there was so there was so much repressed emotion at that time because when you're fighting for your life, it's a very physical. Uh, pursuit and so I was extremely lucky that my parents who were by my side the whole time I had the support of an amazing family and community around me Um, and my parents one day asked me they they kept trying to get me to do some extracurricular activities to bring out my uh, find something that I was interested in again because after that I was I just felt like life wasn't really worth living and that's when they took me to try wheelchair tennis and from the first time I sat in that wheelchair I could hardly move the chair Um, but something about being on the tennis court on the racket trying to trying to hit the ball trying to achieve something it brought it brought my spirit back to life there was there was a spark that had been put out from the cancer and and yeah i knew i knew from that moment it's like okay there's something that i can there's something i've got to live for and from there i I started training six months after i started training i was i went to an australian junior camp and won my spot on the australian junior team and went to compete in poland and sweden where i saw the best players in the world and, and that's where i set my mind to joining them and and committing myself to being the best athlete I could be. I knew it wasn't you know, my dream as a child to be on the Australian soccer team, but being on the Australian wheelchair tennis team brought out the, the same competitive animal that, that was living inside me. That was a way to express that. And, and I mean, I could spend a long time talking about the highs and lows of my, of my career. There were were many, I spent 10 10 years traveling, traveling the world, uh, meeting all kinds of people. I, I I played tournaments on six continents. The two Paralympics I went to was 2012 in London and 2016 in Rio. And Rio, I almost didn't make it. It's actually leading up to Rio, I reached my career high ranking of eight in the world. And the very next week I injured my right shoulder uh, so there was that, there was that setback. Um, it was actually it was about a year earlier that I started working with a movement coach, and we started unraveling the the pain, the chronic pain that I was in. So um, so it's probably important to say that during 2010 to 2017, I used a wheelchair to walk any distance further than about 100 meters. Um, around my house and very short distances I walked with a walking stick but any further than that was it was just too too excruciating um and so I was actually you know uh, when I started training for Kokoda it was because I was actually in Africa doing some charity work donating tennis wheelchairs and tennis equipment when uh, another another man who was uh, very involved in different charities. He actually approached me and asked me, he he saw that I could walk, but could also see that I was in a wheelchair. And I don't know what was going through his mind, but he came over to me and asked me if I wanted to walk the Kokoda track and raise money for charity. And my the feeling in my body and my mind went in completely different directions. My My mind was like, what the fuck is this guy thinking? And my body was like, yes. It was just like this sign of like this spirit was like, yes. This is you need to do this. And so when I got back from Africa, I put my wheelchair in storage, and and I haven't sat in it since. Uh, and that was in July two thousand seventeen. So I started started walking, trained for a year and a half, raised fifty six thousand dollars for youth off the streets, so um, supporting misplaced youth around Australia. And when I got back from Kokoda, which we walked in, we finished in November, 2019, I was planning on getting back in the wheelchair and starting to train for the Tokyo Paralympics. i I set my mind, okay, that was the progression. And, but when I got back in the wheelchair and, and started training, my tennis wheelchair not my everyday wheelchair um the spark was gone and so I went I went one day and it was training I was just like yeah this stop, stop feeling it's not feeling right and I went the next day and I just I felt totally flat and disinterested wasn't enjo- wasn't enjoying the environment that I was in and I was it was clear to me that there was something else. And so the next day, day three, I went in, we actually had a meeting, the Australian team and planning and preparation for Tokyo Paralympics, which is was meant to be last year, but now it's happening uh, this year. And I retired. I said, I need to say something before we get started. I'm done. And, and and the night after the night after I retired, I had the first anxiety attack of my life, as I felt like my identity that had wrapped that had been wrapped up as a as a professional athlete, uh, uh, yeah, it was starting it was really freaking out. And luckily, I had enough meditation and mindfulness experience where I could observe the anxiety attack without being dragged through it um, but the, the two years from, so from, is uh, that, yeah. Yeah, so it was about just over two years ago that that happened, beginning in 2019. Yeah, I may have messed up, messed up some dates. Um, so the so the two years two thousand nineteen and twenty I uh, spent I spent most of the time questioning, reflecting. Uh, I also did a training with a qigong master, and so I spent a lot of time training qigong and meditating and reflecting on my life and 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 then I settled on studying Chinese medicine and acupuncture just because of the the love and passion that I have for qigong and, and the art of energy medicine. Um, So that basically brings us up to, up to the present moment where I've spent the last few months really in, in books, uh, studying and dedicating myself in a, in a, in a new way, which has brought its own challenges and yeah. Thanks for sharing,
1: man. And um, look, it's, it's such an incredible story. You know, I've heard um, a very short snippet of that uh, before, and uh, it's really wonderful for you to retell that story uh, in its elongated form. And, um, you know, I, whenever you were telling that story, I sort of flashed to, you know, um, some resemblance of my own experience with cancer, but it it was nowhere near as, I guess, as, as strenuous or as long as um, yours had been. but um, and, and at the same time, I think that like a very uh, important factor is um, at what age you experienced it. And I think that's um, something that I'd love to for you to dig a little bit deeper into, mate. I mean, as a 13-year-old boy, um, I want to understand and I'm sure that you've had a lot of time to reflect upon the impact it has had on your life and shaping who who you are. But um, yeah, I'd love for you to dive a little bit more into that and um, you know, that, that particular experience, uh, the experience of it as a, as a 13 year old and uh, how it has, I guess, shaped uh, parts of who you are or who you are now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been incredibly formative and, and I just want to take a moment to say there's, I don't, I don't, I don't find there to be much. It's, I don't find it useful to compare journeys, you know, when we're, so when a cancer diagnosis is you're thrown into a fight for your life, no matter, no matter who you are or what type of cancer there's and, and there's many other conditions as well that have a similar effect. So, um, but the age was, it was an interesting time of my life, you know, just, I was just out of year seven at a new school and, you know, hit, hit puberty a few months earlier and suddenly there was the world of, of, of girls and you know, women and just, well, it I've had many people reflect to me that it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a challenging time for, for anyone, but going, going through cancer at that time You know, it's a time where where we figure out who who we are, how we fit in socially, and I'd say that's probably been one of my biggest challenges in life, and still still to this day, uh, because it's given while it has given me so it's given me so many gifts uh, of a of a of a very different perspective in life and the resilience to manage any challenges that come my way uh, in terms of relating to others. You know, I have m- many memories of in high school after, after that, once I returned to high school and I I couldn't relate to any of the other kids at school. And so it was this, this feeling of like being an alien because what they were talking about seemed so far from important to me yet it was on repeat you know there was it was drama there was gossip there was all the all the things that are happening that are super interesting for when you when you're in it as a teenager but then there was all of this stuff and then it was me just like looking at what it means to be alive and why did I survive when others have died and and just having <laughs> you know, reflecting on what, what, what does it mean? What do I do now? How do I, how do I live now? And then also the, the I, had, I was quite self-conscious walking with a walking stick. You know, there was, I have a clear memory of uh, when I, I had my peas and I drove to the shopping center one day and it was pretty big for me to uh, go to the shopping center by myself. And I walked, I walked into the shopping center. I was walking with my walking stick and I, and I felt really self-conscious. And then I see in the, uh, you know, kind of walking towards me about 50 meters away, this old man with a walking stick and, and a carer. And as we got closer, it was like, I just, the feeling in my body was like everything. Was, I was so uncomfortable. And as we got closer, there was, you know, there was a moment of eye contact and we had exactly the same walking stick. And <laughs> looking back, looking back, I laugh and I just send my younger self love and compassion. But at the time it was a really distressing thing for me. And I, I ended up, you know, I walked past him and then I did a U-turn and I went back to my car and I went home and I, yeah. So there was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of those kinds of experiences where I felt myself dissociated from what was happening in, as, a, as a trend in, in uh, the social groups around me. So that was, that was in, incredibly formative. And, and the gifts of that perspective, you know, have, you know, continued to, to blossom. Uh, but I'd say that uh, social socialising and knowing where I fit in in, in that world is is still something that I grapple with, uh, and and I know that many 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 people do. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what other what are what other ways. I think the time when I found wheelchair tennis, you know, I, I mentioned that I had a bit of an identity crisis when I retired, and. You know going going through a kind of ex, you know an experience like like cancer a it it leaves a it leaves a mark it leaves you know there's physical there's emotional there's all different kinds of things that we have to have to process to uh to move on in an empowered way and so at the time that I found wheelchair tennis I was I was desperately searching for something to to hold on to to give me hope in life and so when I when I retired from wheelchair tennis it was like it not only was the identity of tennis but it was suddenly I had to deal with all the things that happened in that time that I was sick as well because when I found tennis there was all this stuff going on that I couldn't deal with but I found tennis. So I was like, "Oh, I'm just going to focus all my energy on tennis, and I'm not going to pay any attention to that. I'm just going to try and move on." And so the uh, the uh, the identity that freaked out when I retired from tennis was not just the tennis. It was also uh, there's all this stuff that has been left unprocessed that slowly bubbled up in in terms of like I had I started having flashbacks. I was having like like a PTSD response.
1: And what's your uh, what's your view on it now, mate? What's your perspective on on that? Like looking back and given you, uh, I think you said you've had about two years or so to sort of move through that and um, essentially process what was left
2: unprocessed. I found a compassion for myself and and a tenderness within that I had never had before. You know, I was always, I was really, I was really quite hard on myself as, a, as an athlete to, to, I had a massive drive to achieve. And, and in that I was really tough on myself mentally and physically. I pushed myself, I pushed myself. And when I, started going through this process and I realized that I was holding on to all this all this stuff that was you know kind of stored in my body stored in my consciousness and sort of peeling back layers and I mean the process isn't I mean I, I don't know what a, a complete process would be but there's you know there's um, I'd say there's 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 still a depth that is, being uncovered within, within that process, but definitely a a compassion for myself. And and with that is a compassion for, for others and a, and a, and an openness and a, a new level of feeling. So opening, opening my heart to actually feeling. And it was only recently that I realized there was a part of my being that uh, was, so afraid of the cancer coming back that I, I self-sabotaged in in a way that uh, stopped me from fully living, fully expressing myself, and uh, yeah, that, that realization was only two or three two or three weeks ago, where I, I actually woke up from a dream with that with that knowing, because uh, I I've, I've been really contemplating the areas of life where I don't feel fulfilled, I don't feel fully expressed and fully empowered. And when I feel into going into those spaces, there's like this there's, feels like there's a, a block or a barrier. And since having that realization that you know, the, bar- the barrier is becoming um, less, less solid, more there's more room for expansion, uh, because I can see what the fear is. Uh, so it's a, it's a continu- continuously evolving process and, and through it I'm getting to know myself in a much deeper, much more comprehensive way because I accept and am loving more parts of myself that were just lock- locked up and, I, and I, that weren't in my conscious awareness before.
0: And what were some, what are some of those areas that you feel now, you know, I know it's a recent two or three weeks, but what are some of those things? Because I can tell, Adam, that, um, you know, even from a very early age, you've had this ability to kind of zoom out and see the situation that is happening, um, you know, in your life uh, from kind of outside eyes, it sounds like to me, Um, you know, you mentioned that um, when you were younger and the chemotherapy, it felt like, you know, it was taking away part of yourself. Um, and also when you went into tennis, you noticed that it brought a spark back to your life and you you had something to live for and they're all observations that you made of yourself. Um, and it sounds like you're making them again now, or you have been the whole time, but these real recent ones in the last two, three weeks, what are some of those that have been expansive for you that you're, you're interested in exploring that you haven't before?
2: Yeah, great question. It's really focused around creativity and expression, expression of that creativity in many different ways. I think I've held myself back uh, from, from following those moments of of inspiration that would lead to creating something. And so I think that there's, there's, there's a lot that's, I don't have words for it because it's, it's, it's so new, but the, the, the feeling of allow, allowing myself to enter into the process of creation is present now, whereas a, a poet in the past, it would have, there were, there was a, it wasn't even a conscious thing. I would, I would get distracted or I would find something else to do, or I'd say, no, I don't have time for that. Or, there was it was a very unconscious or subconscious form of of sabotage in that in that area. Um, and so since being able to to see it, there's more of a willingness for me to lean into that space and and I mean what that looks like practically is you know just starting to to, to write again and to you know write songs and play music and um yeah there's there's a few of my chosen areas of of creativity that i haven't made time for in the past and 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 i never quite knew how to make them fit into my my life and was waiting for them to you know for inspiration to strike and for me to suddenly write this amazing Um, and what i'm noticing now is that every day there's there's an opportunity for creation and creativity there's there's this it's an endless flow and uh much like much like with qigong it's like the energy is flowing through by doing my qigong practice i'm facilitating a a in an increase and enhanced quality of the flow of energy within in my body and so by tapping into that creative energy there's there's yeah i mean i'm just at the beginning of of tapping into the the potential that that i feel because i I do feel i feel i feel i mean i've been practicing the cultivation of energy for many years now so i feel like channeling that energy into creativity is going is is and will be really powerful especially as as i really dedicate and set time towards um allowing that to be expressed in my life and in the world
1: Mm, absolutely man and i think that um you bring up a really important i guess um line of inquiry there in terms of Um, how we often in modern times will sabotage ourselves from uh, inquiring further and being curious and following the threads of curiosity. Um, You know, that that may be the beginnings of uh, creativity for each and every one of us because of, you know, a plethora of different reasons, right? I mean, um, each of our lived experiences up until this point will uh, be written by certain stories and we're conditioned in certain ways to believe certain things and have different systems of belief but um, those things can also you know play a role in hampering or you know freeing us to be able to do the things that uh, perhaps we we feel like we want to do and I think that Turning them into something, you know, practical or tangible is this um, often a, a, an interesting barrier because a lot of the things that we do from a creative standpoint, especially at the start, right, they, they don't necessarily make sense uh, uh, in, in the social norm of things, you know. Um, you know, like you, uh, journaling and poetry for me have been you know, beautiful ways from, for me to express myself. But do um, so that make sense in terms of, you know, um, stacking towards the, the economic goals of, you know, um, being successful and, and things like this? Not necessarily. Um, so that in itself can be a bit of a hamper. But um, what are the sorts of things that, you know, proved to be, I guess, barriers for you? And I know that you mentioned some things around, you know, fitting in socially and things like this. But um, what are some of the barriers that you faced? And, again, what are some of the ways that you were able to overcome them for yourself?
2: It all comes down to my my own mind. And, you know, uh, I had a – I always told myself – a story of being a sporty person and that being a sporty person, I couldn't be a creative person or I wasn't a creative person. I wasn't artistic. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I can trace can trace that back to my childhood when for whatever reason, you know, I moved, moved more towards sport and yeah, my artistic side. Uh, became shut down at some point and who who knows who knows how or who knows why Uh, sport has been an incredible outlet for me Uh, but life is life is creative life is life is so much more than than sport and that's why i think i retired was because once i started to see that the ceiling of what was possible for my life Shattered when I did Kokoda. It just the you know, I never thought in a million years that I would be able to walk a track like that. And so there was, there was like the yeah, the, the ceiling, the ceiling shattered, and I the entered the inquiry of okay, what else is possible now? Because what I thought was my limitation. I thought it was a solid limitation uh, is, is gone. And so it becomes infinite possibilities from, from that space. And, and at times I got really frustrated with myself for not being more, more creative or more inspired to create. And, and then I also look looking at, Looking at the looking at the stories that I hold and the and the feelings towards creativity and when I see someone else being creative, how that makes me feel versus versus other people. Some people there's more triggering, like making me feel uncomfortable, and some people is more inspiring. And why is that the case? Uh, so really looking at how how that those elements of creativity make me feel and and then also recognizing it as a practice as an art there's there's dedication and time that needs to be spent you know daily to be com- become comfortable with with anything like that i know that from my days as an athlete and yeah so i i've started i've started the, the process and i'm also i'm seeking support i've approached a, an art therapist uh just as a way to process what's happening in life and turn that into the, the uh, act of of creation, because I've my experience of life is so rich compared to what it used to be when I you know I felt like I was I was numb and shut down for many many years of my life, and compared to now, there's there's, a, there's like a universe of feelings and thoughts and processes that are happening inside every single day. You know, when I sit down to meditate, I'm like, what is, you know, there's just, there's so much happening inside. So actually learning how to turn that into create creation and art is one of one of the, I would say, I wouldn't say I've set a goal around it, but I have, I have an intention for that process to, uh, become a daily part of my life.
0: Um, One thing that I want to bring up from what you just um, mentioned was that was really interesting to me uh, and which is something, you know, Les has discussed before, which is the process of creativity and how it can be a process. And I'm really interested by that because it's one of those things that I think people um, feel like creativity is something that visits you like it can come to you and then it leaves as opposed to like a cultivated practice. Um, so it's really interesting to me um, that you mentioned that because, you know, uh, I've I've heard musings of it from Les before. And I'd love to actually bring Les in and get his opinion on that because I know it's something that he's quite adept at or, or focuses on a lot. So Les, are you able to like shed some light for us on that? Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, Adam you hit on a lot of things there that um, it's totally spot on I think that as you were talking and talking about your you know um, your approach as a professional athlete and how that may have turned you away from uh, creativity in some way and um, I don't believe it would have like I mean just as any practice that you engage into um, you know you put the right, level of dedication and discipline toward it and there is the desired outcome and the key word that you put behind that is intention right Um, whatever it is I mean it's funny how you know your story has turned out in a you know in a a very um, in a different way to how you mentioned it as a child you know Um, as a child you wanted to be a professional athlete to represent Australia and you did that it just you know manifests in a different way which, which is like kind of beautiful in and in, in, in kind of telling of how life kind of unfurls for you, you know. Uh, it, it rem- that, that essence of, of what you wanted, it remained in spirit, but it just formed differently in the physical realm, right, which is really cool, I find. It's, it's a great sort of way to, and a great example to, to, to sort of um, demonstrate that. But I guess in terms of like the art, of of practice and um, what you mentioned before, Shauna, about, um, you know, people thinking that uh, they may, that only certain people are blessed with the ability to be creative, you know? I think that's um, a complete myth. You know, everyone has the capacity for creativity. I think creativity is a a human capacity, Um, but the difference really is whether you Um, are dedicated to tuning into that and being aware to that and cultivating that and allowing that to flow through you and finding the right mediums for you to express that, right? Not everyone will express their creativity through the same mediums, you know. not, Not all art is going to be hanging on the walls of the art gallery, you know. Doesn't mean it's not art, doesn't mean it's not expression. But I think that, you know, there's certain things, uh, out there that I guess are great proponents to, to, to telling us what practice and artistry and creativity are. There's, there's no, there's no real destination to be reached in that way. I think it's, um, I think uh, in, in a book called Mar- uh, Mastery, and I can't remember who the author is. It's not the Robert Greene version. It's another version of a book called Mastery that was written in the 90s. Um, the author said that mastery is available to anyone who is willing to um, get onto the road of mastery and, and not only you know, walk the path, but stay on the path. And I think that's sort of the, the important part of it. It's not only about finding the right path for yourself, but being, you know, comfortable with staying on on it, being disciplined to stay on it, um, no matter what. Um, and I think martial arts and, you know, uh, professional sports, it sort of teaches us a lot of these sorts of things uh, in a particular way. In that, you know, um, from the outside looking in. We sort of see that the goal is to reach the top, you know, to get the trophy, to get the black belt, to get the championship ring, all that sort of stuff. But uh, when you ask the people who have actually done that, um, they, they, that that's not the goal at all. Uh, their, their goal really is just to be, you know, uh, better than they were yesterday. Um, and I think that's sort of the, the approach to creative energy, creative outlet that you continually have the intention to, you know, walk the path and cultivate that and allow it to sort of flourish the way it needs to. Um, but yeah, love to get your thoughts as well, Adam.
2: Yeah. I resonate a lot with what, with what you just shared, Leslie. Um, yeah, I was, ref- I was reflecting on when you said like, uh, That I set my intention as a child to play for Australia and then it manifested in it just in a different way I've reflected that on that a lot in in my life and and I suppose that's why I've taken, you know, kind of two years before set kind of choosing to study Chinese medicine to see what what I want to pursue with, with my life. Especially, especially after doing Kakoda as well, because that was another example of, okay, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, but set my intent and then it's done. And so knowing that about myself and about humans in general, when we set our mind to something and we take actions towards that and we line up all the aspects of our being and our world to facilitate the expression of that intent into the world, then there's nothing we can't, really there's nothing we can't do and and that's the way I'm, I'm starting to approach creativity as well seeing seeing the aspects of my being that are in the way of that manifesting in the world in the way that i would like it to to be and to feel and i'm, I'm not at the point of it's not a daily practice for me yet and that's okay i'm you know I'm, I'm in, a, I'm in a massive stage of transition you know first semester of a four-year uh, uni degree and possibly do a master's after that is, is I'm a big uh, proponent for you know being, being realistic in, in certain ways and and time management is one, is one of those things. Uh, I, have a, I have some daily practices that are almost non-negotiables. Every now and again, there's a day that I don't do a Qigong practice or I don't meditate. But even when I don't do that, there's some form of mindful breathing or mindful movement just throughout my day without a specific time to focus on it. Um, But the breath itself is an act of creation, you know, or transformation with taking in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide and we, the, the process of that creates life and and facilitates all the functions of, of our body you know look at, from the from the chinese medicine perspective the 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 lungs are uh, in charge of descending and dispersing the, the energy within the body and so where the the kidneys store our essence our, our jing and when the lungs breathe in the kidneys draw on that energy and that then disperses and it's a continu, it's a continuous flow that with every single breath and and that and the act of i mean like anything getting getting over the the ego and the the blockages to anything is is an achievement itself sometimes just sitting down at the desk to study or to, to write or sitting down in my chair to play guitar, which is something I love to do, but still some days it's it's not easy. And so uh, and from my days as an athlete, there was, you know, you, you just you show up, you show up and it's it's not to win the medal on that day, but I'm showing up to to train and to improve, uh, you know, 0.0001% that day. Uh, to to work on something, uh, and I think that it's so easy to go through life without ever fully realizing what is meaningful to you. It's it's so it's so easy never to take that time to actually shed the layers that. Uh, put on to you from society, from family, their, their values being put on to you that you think are your own. And unless you take that time to really shed that and figure out what do you value in life, the, you go through life thinking that what you value is, is what other people value. And um, just coming into that that practice of again shedding even more and coming into i'm listening to a book right now called essentialism and just coming back to okay stripping back everything that's not essential so that i can find out what what is so important to me that i can't not do and basic basing my life around those because that's that's the most meaningful thing and and yeah, cre- creativity. It feels, feels, it feels so good to, to create uh, and to, to get what is inside kind uh, of outside uh, in, in whatever form it takes. Um, but if you want to be good at it, if you want to be good at anything, it takes a lot of time and, a, and consistency and learning, learning to work with momentum. And when the momentum is good, you 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 can find some incredible spaces within within your own feelings and uh, and awareness. Hopefully, I answered your question in that.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, you did man. And I think that you know one of the one of the key things that I sort of come back to, and again, I think you you painted a really really like vivid picture for everyone is this um, notion of essence, right? Um, You talked about, you know, again, back in uh, the days whilst you were going through uh, your cancer treatment, that you felt like you were lifeless, you know, and you look back at the photos and you look like a ghost. And um, there was certain things that uh, brought that spark of life, that essence back. Um, and I think that it's it's a beautiful way to sort of describe this, this guiding force for each and every individual, you know, in life in terms of what that creative output uh, will manifest into or what, what it, uh, it's starting point essentially, right? It's sort of like a compass, like um, I totally agree with you that, you know, whatever we sort of focus on, we can achieve as people. But um, I think that, um, and going back to that quote from the book from mastery, right. It the hardest thing is staying on that path, especially if it's some, something that you don't believe in, in your heart, you know, and that again, is that essence in my mind, you know, um, we can, we can look out in th- into the world right? and, and it's so easy to like, you know, just jump on social media and see what we quote unquote want to, to achieve and, and be and have, you know, but a lot of the time, like, we don't actually want that stuff. You know, it's not, it's not something that sort of resonates with us. It's not, it's not you know, it doesn't, it doesn't spark something within us. It's not the essence that is held within, within us. It's different for everyone. And, like, you know, when you were talking about how clearly um, you sort of set an intention as a kid and what you want to be, like, you know, uh, a professional athlete who represents Australia, I look back at my own life as a, as a child and I don't think I ever had that, you know. And that's why uh, throughout a lot of my formative years, I was, I was lost um, and I was jumping from identity to identity, you know, just trying to find something that I believed in. Um, and not only, it was only when um, I had my own, uh, you know, battle with cancer that I dedicated my my time and effort to to really finding out what that is and rediscovering, you know, the true essence within myself. So um, I think that's a really important thing. Like the essence is, is one of these things that really, um, and to use like some of the words that you, you mentioned before, Adam, you know, it's the things that really allows us to empower ourselves to remain on that path of, of, you know, um, pursuing creativity and walking down that path and, you know, making things and creating things with our hands and making things tangible, um, uh, express them externally. Um, you know, uh, it's sort of like there's, there's this old saying that um, the, gods, the gods, they smile at us when we, we make things with our hands, you know, uh, and, I, and I think it's like sort of indicative of what we're sort of put here to do, you know, to, to find our own essence and sort of um, birth that into existence, uh, into some physical or tangible
2: way. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of, a lot of people, or some people, spend a lot of their lives waiting for that to, to hit them. And when I, when I was in the, in the peak of my career, just throughout my tennis career that so many people that said like oh you're so lucky to have found that thing that you absolutely love and I was like and I and I knew it I knew how lucky I was because I one, I was a, I was incredibly sporty and competitive and and so that I was good at it I was good at it and it was a, a way that I I I I could I could give everything I had to it and I could also I also received a lot of value from 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 the world Uh, and when I retired I started to see that okay how I have received value and uh, and had my needs met in the past now I had to find a a new way Uh, and I'd still probably say I'm I'm on that journey of rediscovering what that what that what is the essence that's gonna thread its way through the next period of my life? Um, and it really f- feels like that there's 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 a journey of, of discovery. There's there's a there's a, there's an element of seeking and non-seeking in, in, that, in that path, because there's there's always things that are that we that we don't need to go looking for but then i've also i've had a taste of of that passion for my everyday life and i know that that passion is something that is can be cultivated and, and, and grown rather than just inherent you know, in someone so yeah. yeah finding finding that and yeah heading in, heading in, heading in the direction of what inspires me to find that essence again.
1: Yeah. And I feel like you sort of described, you know, the journey of life um, in that little nugget, you know what I mean? Like it's not so much something that uh, is a period uh, in our lives per se. Um, We'll find that when we reflect back um, each sort of little, uh, I guess, period of our lives where we, however we want to categorize them, they do go through these types of, you know, uh, journeys and evolutions and, um, and just uh, like the want to discover something new for ourselves. And I feel like that's, that's going going to be the way it is um, until uh, the day that we pass. So, yeah, I think that's a really nice way and place for us to maybe cap off the conversation and leave with our audience and, um, for for, for something to to ponder and chew on, you know, with regards to essence and what that might mean for them. So, yeah, thanks so much for joining us on the show, Adam. Really appreciated, uh, you know, your wisdom and insights and, you know, sharing your incredible story. Um, I'd love to, you know, give you the opportunity to, you know, share with our audience where they can find you if they wanted to get in touch and, you know, uh, maybe have a chat with you or anything else, mate. So,
2: uh yeah thanks so much for for having me and facilitating this this conversation i i I love i love sharing sharing that story and uh i hope hope people listening have taken something one thing one thing from it uh and if you want to get in touch uh instagram or facebook and just just my name adam kellerman i'm uh moving into a period where I'm moving away from social media uh, but I will still be uh, available um, at least for the next little while for sure man we
1: will add those uh links into the show notes and uh, you know if people want to reach out they can and I'm and I'm definitely confident that people would have got something out of this conversation uh where can people find you mate
0: Yep. Easiest place to find me is on Instagram. So it's Sean underscore Coop, S-H-A-U-N underscore C-O-O-P. And people can also find out um, more about what we do together, Les, at uh, True Um, If you have any interest in finding out more about what we do there, just head over to that website. Now, how about you, Les? Where can they find you?
1: Yep. Yeah, you can find me on my website, findingspace.co, uh, as well as the socials, Instagram and Facebook is also at findingspace.co.
0: And again, Adam, just want to thank you for uh, joining us today and sharing your story and um, you know the most recent developments as well, which are so different to the life that you've led before. Um, I think it's really exciting and looking forward to seeing what you know this creative process yields for you.
2: Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure.
0: And um, if you're listening still, uh, thank you for joining us today. And we ask that you just share this episode with one other person. That's how we grow the podcast. It's a humble, humble request. Um, a little nugget. Um, any questions you think might provoke some thought in some other people that you came across in this conversation. it be awesome if you shared it with one other person. And until next time, guys, thanks for joining us. See you guys.